0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we explore the science of crime and the practical application of this science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners, as well as other professionals. Welcome, my buddy, to another episode of Crime Science, the podcast. This is the latest in our weekly update series, and I'm joined by co-host Tony D'Onofrio and Tom Meehan, our producers Diego Rodriguez and Wilson Gavarino. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the world of LPAP, particularly in retail uh, and security and beyond. And so, I'll start with this week. The Rela Retail Industry Leaders Association's annual uh, asset protection conference uh, has taken place. Now, it's taking place in Denver, Colorado area, and um, a whole a great lineup of speakers, uh, a lot of participation. This will be the first time I haven't gone in probably 20, 25 years. Uh, due to other travel uh, and extensive writing and things I'm involved in right now uh, for research and grants. And so, uh, but we've got a full team going there with Diego, uh, J.C. Atkinson, one of our research scientists, Chad McIntosh, our COO, uh, Brian Hayes, our CFO, uh, involved in being there. And we always, always appreciate RELA providing us uh, a place to park and talk with uh, their members, our members, uh, the industry at large, and uh, the feedback I've gotten so far has been amazing as far as the interactions with uh, particularly retail LP, AP professionals. Uh, many, many, many are our members uh, since we have 76 retail corporate members uh, in all their divisions, uh, at LPRC, um, but also many non-members and those that are prospective members that are very interested in learning about our research, our events, our working groups, our labs and beyond. So um, we wanted to thank Rela again for allowing that engagement, uh, such amazing people, uh, the things that they do for the community, the industry are, are top shelf. So um, we also want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the people that we've got behind the scenes. Um, we have over on our operations team, Chad had, heads that up. Chad, again, is a is a multi-decade veteran of loss prevention asset protection in the retail area. Um, with stents, of course, uh, dating back into the, uh, mid to late seventies, uh, but top leadership positions at the home Depot at uh, Macy's at Polo Ralph Lauren. And uh, of course, uh, finishing up his career for several years as the vice president, uh, of asset protection at Bloomingdale's. And, um, uh, So Chad helps us coordinate and execute uh, the multitude of things that you do day in and day out, as well as the big things like our big events, um, our knowledge center, um, and uh, HR, and legal, and licensing, and regulation, and all the myriad things that happen uh, with the team, including Diego Rodriguez, who is our science to practice coordinator, and he helps us uh, as a manager of that uh, effort. Uh, bring everything that we're working on and that others are working on to the practitioner in the field and the corporate offices uh, around the U.S. and around the globe. And so, when when we've got research, uh, we need that we need that translated into practice. And so, uh, on our website, uh, through our social media postings, on our of course our knowledge center that's full of hundreds of research reports and briefs. Hundreds of interviews with uh, active criminal offenders, um, with all the recorded events and sessions from events, uh, webinars that we've done, uh, as well as live webinars uh, that we put out there now. Um, Diego helps us do all that. We also put out RIAs to our members, research and action briefs, again, uh, describing what the issue is, uh, what we did to learn more and uh, what we found and what that means so that the practitioner can go to work in their strategic planning, their operational design, and, of course, with their tactical design and execution, uh, but just uh, the day of day out things that you need to do to get better uh, at reducing theft and fraud and violence, all the losses, uh, and that we get this disruption. So that is uh, just a little bit about what Diego Rodriguez does. Wilson Gabarino helps us coordinate and engage uh, weekly, daily with our retailer members at all the strata. Who who are our members? Who are the leaders there? Who's our champion that represents that organization that knows about us and gets their organization involved in our working groups, uh, coming and participating in our events, getting involved in projects uh, that we're doing, research projects, providing data or. Uh, site access or uh, interviews or surveys that we might do with them. Uh, So that's what uh, Wilson's trying to do all day, every day. Uh, Tom Keel, the same thing with the solution partners or SPs, the members here that are working hard day in and day out to provide the tools, uh, whether it's technologies or services to the retailers to, again, better control theft, fraud, and violence. Uh, So Tom's working to engage with them and help them uh, understand how LPRC works and where they can get involved and how the retailers are engaged across the LPRC, uh, what working groups are in, who's involved, what are those working groups working on, um, and and, uh, what are the sponsorship opportunities, uh, what are ways that they can have their technologies uh, displayed in our online, only one in the world, the Online Solution Directory, they can post uh, up to five of their solutions with links and displays, and they can have video clips, uh, also displaying their technologies in one of our six labs uh, or outside in the four square block safer la- places, lab area, um, and so on. So that's really what Tom Keel works on. Uh, so with Wilson and Tom working to engage with members, get them into the gym and on the machines um, and fully exploiting all the opportunities here, leveraging the relationships that they can build here year-round. LPRC is very unique and distinctive in that way, and that our working groups, that our uh, events uh, continue around the around the clock and around the year calendar um, to make sure that everybody's getting what they need. Um, also, that to help facilitate uh, both retailers and solution partners or manufacturers like P&G, for example, as well, that are members uh, or communities. Uh, we have cities that come in, municipalities. We have counties or federal government people that come in, certainly law enforcement executives uh, and practitioners at all scales and levels that come into our labs. We have Kim Raffier who works away at facilitating those visits and making sure that visits that we set objectives what what does that retailer or that solution partner want to accomplish who do they want to talk to what do they want to see What do they want to know about so they can get better and they can get better at leveraging lprc to get there Um, we also she also helps us coordinate the events that we have starting off with kickoff to uh, ignite uh, and including integrate this this year uh, with our summits and of course with a big one uh, impact the first week in October, uh, so making sure that those are special events, special visits for our members um, is a key part of what Kim works on. Um, we've also uh, got Brian Hayes. Brian helps us uh, to coordinate our financial uh, execution, making sure that we're that we're invoicing and getting the the resources in that we need to operate through our membership, through sponsorships. Uh, And and so forth. So, uh, And then helping us stay coordinated in that area, uh, make sure we can make uh, good informed decisions as we add or build our team or add and build our lab spaces, uh, travel, uh, purchase the items that we might need to execute our mission of supporting our members as they strive to work together to reduce, again, theft, fraud, violence. So uh, he also helps us do special projects, build things, uh, brochures. Um, interactive ways to invite and display what we're up to, to our members uh, graphically. So that's a little bit about uh, our operations team. Um, And so uh, what we'll do is uh, next time, we'll talk a little bit about our research team going forward. But right now we are highly focused at, at the macro, at the meso and at the micro level, at trying to understand and affect offender decisions crime events reduce those and the harm that come from those crime events the the injury the, from victimization so we're working on uh grand levels where we're setting up three areas in Gainesville we'll talk more in depth and we've mentioned this before the safer places lab the safer places lab east side the safer places lab west side and then there's a potential for us to add another field test site in Gainesville that is an open air and Uh, shopping center environment, quite large um, at the regional scale. So what we're doing to better understand how to uh, know about and affect decisions and outcomes, in other words, convince the bad guy to make better choices, not to come our way or not to do as much harm as they wanted to, Um, we're working at that scale. uh, And think about how do we help retailers that have more than one store, which is all of them that have multiple stores. How do we help those stores uh, better communicate and inform between their own stores? If somebody came to one site, can we earlier know that they might be headed toward or arriving at another one of their sites uh, for early warning? The same thing between chains can one store uh, or chain inform another what might be heading their way or entering their area. Again, Uh, As well as finally, the third part of that is can one or both of those chains coordinate with their law enforcement partners? How do we develop those and execute those protocols technologically uh, within legal bounds and other concerns that people might have? So a lot going on at that scale, as well as uh, our team was doing site visits this week, for example, in stores and evaluating some product protection technologies, not just uh, how well they could work, but how well are they working? But really critically, how much is execution or lack of exec- execution of the technology or spotty execution uh, or compliance affecting that? So a whole, whole lot going on here, uh, but we will update more going forward. Let me go ahead and uh, turn it over, if I might, to Tony. And Tony D'Offrio let us know what's going on.
1: Thank you, Reed, for all those uh, great updates. And hello to our audience. Uh, I'm actually south of Rome uh, visiting family in Italy this, for the next few weeks. And so let me start this week with some interesting data on the fast rise of chat GPT, which has been in the news a lot. And this information is from rankingroyals.com. As they stated, the com- conversational AI chatbot is added as a record moment in the history of technology ChatGPT has become one of the year's most ubiquitous buzzwords. Within five days of its release to the public, in November, 2022, ChatGPT has amassed a user base, are you ready for this? Five days, over one million people. And if you compare this, and let's compare this to other popular online services, it took Netflix uh, to reach that same million three and a half years, Airbnb, two and a half years, Twitter, two years, Facebook, 10 months, Spotify, five months, and Instagram, two and a half months. It's worth recalling that big Bill Gates called Chet, GPT a Gutenberg world-changing moment. And there's a lot of discussion even with Elon Musk in terms of what all this stuff is doing with AI Including Chat GPT. But it's amazing that in just five days, one million people signed on, and in my view, the, the impact of what it can do is just getting started. Switching topics, let me summarize the latest retail technology study from RIS News, uh, which was just published. This study focuses on IT investments in retail stores, many of which support loss prevention solutions. For 2023, uh, 74% of USA retailers said they will increase or maintain their IT technology budget compared to the lofty 84% last year. A figure that last year that was boosted by the pent-up demand unleashed after the pandemic ended. It is worth noting that while the percentage of retailers who penned the increase, or maintain the current IT budget levels has dropped year on year. The size of the IT budget as a share of the overall budget has increased to 14% in 2023 from last year's 12%. When retailers were asked for the one word that would describe the current state of the retail industry, overwhelmingly they chose the world evolving, and related terms changing, dynamic, advancing, and fluid. The takeaway from this insight is that this is an an uncertain environment and retailers need to build resilient systems and business model that can quickly adapt to change. The top five technologies, uh, strategies for retailers for the next 18 months are improving network and IT security, new payment tech and capabilities, advanced analytic tools uh, and capabilities, recruiting and retaining frontline employees, and advancing mobile commerce for consumers. The top challenges over the next five years for retailers are employee engagements and wages, retiring legacy systems, upgrading store bandwidth and infrastructure, and then change management along with resistance to change and application integration, uh, which is interesting because that's come up a lot in terms of integrating things at the loss prevention uh, research council. And as we also just completed the loss prevention uh, retail council supply chain uh, summit, from a technology point of view, the top three investments for supply chain technology for 2023 are uh, real-time inventory visibility fulfillment and returns management 40 percent of retailers are currently upgrading will upgrade the digital devices which include things like signage kiosks over the next 24 months 29 percent of retailers plan to implement checkout and payments on customers devices such as smartphones in the next 24 months 67 percent of respondents have no plans to implement grab-and-go or cashierless checkout. The top three retail growth technologies over the next three years are artificial intelligence and machine learning, personalization and precision marketing, and optimizing e-commerce. Again, multiple of these technologies uh, that I just mentioned that are uh, information technologies or IT priorities both help and also, by the way, add risk to loss prevention, and we will discuss this more in future uh, podcasts. But for example, larger network uh, bandwidths, which are on the IT priority this year, allow for video to be centralized and managed, which is a good thing for loss prevention. Uh, it's also interesting that uh, the study says we're not going to see by a majority uh, soon more Amazon Go type stores, but we will see consumers uh, checking out on their devices, which for loss prevention will add risk. So we need to monitor these because it, it really involves it how loss prevention responds. And finally, let me end this week by going to Australia and speak to the latest retail shrink information that was recently published by Griffith University and was summarized by In Queensland. The retail sector in Australia and New Zealand lost About $4.3 billion last year through theft, a 28% increase from four years ago when the study was last done. Customers threw more than half of the total while employees took about a quarter. Staff tended uh, to also take the most expensive items. The impact of robbery, however, was lower and there appeared to be a shift away from armed robbery. Customer theft, on average, was worth about $415, while employee theft averaged $1,200. Retailers reported an increase in customer aggression and violent incidents during the height of COVID-19, and since verbal abuse and violence without interest like to go unreported, the increase is likely higher than official statistics suggest. The type of items most targeted for theft uh, include things such as fresh meat, makeup, sports-related clothing, batteries, and connection uh, devices. I guess I'm not surprised that Australia is matching places like United States, Canada, and the UK in terms of the uh, patterns of retail crime, but I am surprised also by their concern of violence, increased violence, and also I know there are members of the Lost Prevention Council from Australia, so it's good to keep an eye and to work together to address these kind of challenges together going forward. And with that, let me turn it over to Tom.
2: Well, thank you, Tony, and thank you, Reed. And a lot going on. Um, I know that this is being taped uh, the week of RIVA, so I know some folks are out and about. I'm actually at a different conference uh, and uh, was uh, speaking about cybersecurity risks and sustainability. Uh, So it is definitely conference season, but um, I hope everybody is enjoying themselves and staying safe. Another balloon. Uh, So I don't know, it it hasn't made a lot of news. It's been in the news, but there was, uh, earlier this week, there was a a balloon or unidentified flying object uh, uh, off the coast of Hawaii. Uh, The US government has been tracking this and says that the balloon has not uh, flown over any classified or national security risks areas, uh so that we we are just monitoring it the the origin of the balloon is unknown. the type of balloon is unknown, and what the payload is is unknown. The balloon is currently uh at the time of this recording um Uh, drifting towards Mexico. So this kind of, you know, if you think about this, this kind of goes to when we're talking about geopolitical, we were hot and heavy talking a lot about these balloons, shot some balloons down. And now the question is, how often does this happen? What are these balloons? As we talked about here on the the podcast, that at any given time, there could be thousands of balloons in the air for weather and scientific observation. So very, very um, interesting time. Uh, for sure here. But I also think it's something that um, uh, we want to keep an eye on here. We'll let everyone know uh, what, if anything, that occurs that affects any of our listener base. And we'll just, as always, keep you up to speed. Uh, In the news, Iran seized a second oil tanker uh, in a week. Uh, the U.S. Navy uh, released some um, video and unclassified it to show it going on. Uh, this continues to just kind of talk about the geopolitical state and what is going on outside the United States and what what it means for all of us or what it potentially can mean for all of us. I think when we, when we think about geopolitical risk and what it means for the listeners here, one of the, the key takeaways is we don't necessarily know um, – you know what the supply chain implication is on this. Certainly, there are uh, implications on the cost of oil and uh, far-reaching supply chain inf- uh, pieces here. But this is just something to to monitor and keep a close eye on. Things like this happen all the time. I think it's important to state that. Um, it's just uh, I think we're we're getting that information traveling much much faster. Uh, today at the time of this taping is uh, federal. The Federal Reserve is expected to raise interest rates once again. Um, the market has been fairly volatile because of that, and uh, you know with some of the banking crises that have been going on uh, last week, First Republic was seized. The bank was seized by the FDIC, and um, Chase has uh, taken over. Uh, that bank bid, won the bid, so lots and lots of, of news in the economic state, and uh, we all have to be mindful of what the potential is uh, for us. So that doesn't necessarily mean that anything will happen, but it's. Um, I think there's some definite, definite things that we want to you know, be aware of. Uh, switching gears a little bit into cyber risk, Apple issued its first rapid security response update, um, this is a, a new kind of uh, update process. So a lot of times patches are done uh, on a scheduled basis. Apple introduced the rapid security response uh, after iOS 16 um, and uh, Mac OS Ventura. It, it moves some of the system files that are likely to, to be more frequent updates in a different web kit. So basically what it means for um, us is that they can uh, update security fixes much, much quicker, um, address flaws quicker. Very good news for us, um, and I think we all you know, we all probably are used to hearing this, but if there is an update on your phone, on your laptop, put that update in. Um, trust me, uh, kind of the age-old anthems of when I do an update, my battery doesn't work, and so on and so forth, will be far, far less of a risk than uh, a challenge. Much less of a challenge than um, a risk with a security issue. I think that, you know, there are certainly, uh, risks when you do an update, but when there's a vulnerability, you have a known risk that you need to address. Uh, in law enforcement or law news, the New York bail reform, um, act was amended. And and so you have a a little bit of a change in New York when I would say this is a change for the better. Prior to this change, uh, there was very limited applications of bail in, in New York State, and uh, the judges at, uh, did not have the discretion um, to change that rule. With the new change, judges have the ability with the discretion to introduce bail, even if it falls outside of um, the the confines of the the law. So, in the past, when this bail reform enactment, it basically said if you didn't do these, if you weren't suspected of these crimes, there was no bail and there was no alternative option. So you could not, um, a judge could not use discretion. Uh, now you you're going back to there 's still very restrictive bail rules, but a judge can use distra- or, um, discretion if they believe that the person has a threat of or, uh, violence or risk to society so that 's a big big win because this was um, even just politically a very charged situation Now you have the situation where uh, judges can make the the the, the choice based on discretion, when that was taken away, you had, uh, you know, arguably just a list of crimes that uh, judges had no recourse uh, from bail. So I, I am not sure what this means for outside of New York State. Uh, up until recently, New York and New Jersey had some of the most restrictive bail reform Uh, It's very close to bail elimination uh, laws that were were out. Um, I think that this change in the New York law is more aligned with the New Jersey law, which really allows judges to make good, sound decisions based um, on their discretion. So, definitely a space to watch. There are other. Uh, states that are looking at this very closely and uh, Trying to measure the scientific data or the data itself to see what the impact is Uh, So I do believe we will continue to see this trend occurring Uh, You know, I know that there was uh, parts of Illinois This was occurring in but there are are several other states that are looking at this. So um, I think the data is um, anecdotally Uh, looks like there's an impact, but the data is somewhat inconclusive if if the actual bail reform affects the the crime. So there's a lot more data that comes out there. Prior to this, there were a lot of uh, studies done to show that there wasn't a correlation with bail and people going to court. That was where it was was driven this heavily. Um, This law took effect in New York um, a couple years ago now, um, and we're We're now at the point where we've seen some challenges where this discretion has come in. Switching gears a little bit, and this will be the last kind of topic I talk about, is generative AI. And so ChatGPT has become more of a household name, but it is a generative AI, and so I equate it to Xerox or Kleenex where Xerox is a brand, the copying machine is a copying machine, Kleenex is a brand, and a Tissue is a tissue. OpenAI is the parent company of ChatGPT, which is owned or funded 49% by Microsoft. But they are not the only game in town. There are actually many, many generative... Uh, um, AI companies and platforms, and uh, to, you know, just to, to name a couple, uh, you have a company called Orthopod, which is the competitor of OpenAI. A lot of OpenAI folks left that. Uh, their version of ChatGPT is called Claude. You also have um, uh, Google, which is their version is Bard, and then you have a meta version. So you have multiple, multiple versions out there uh of of chat and what is going on uh here is that this is uh the buzz right now it's a hot hot topic there's a lot of um information out there about the risks of these generative ai engines and the risk for uh, misinformation the risk for um People misusing them, but I, I wanted to kind of point a couple things that I think we're going to see uh, in the very near future. Wall Street Journal um, had a great piece with both audio and video of a Wall Street Journal tech uh, journalist going out and and actually using a service to replicate the, the and train with her voice as well as a deep fake with the video. And her findings were that the video was not necessarily there yet. That people were very, it was very easy for people to determine that um, the video was, was in fact AI. It seemed robotic. Her family noticed it right away. Other people had said something seemed off about it. But on the latter, with the audio service that she used, um, her very, very close family identified that something wasn't right when they were having a conversation, but she was able to um, do some bank authentication. Now, uh, luckily... Uh, as a tech reporter would, she really went into the details here where uh, she was able to get into her account but was not able to make any changes without other verifiable information. But the voice, the AI voice authentication was able to fool uh, a computer into using what what up until recently was extremely, extremely accurate uh, method of, of authentication. What does this mean? I mean, what this really means and folks like Reed, myself and Tony on a podcast is that um, someone could take our voice uh, just by recording this, train a model to potentially spread misinformation, um, uh, could be for social engineering or industrial espionage. So we're, we're really opening up the, the Pandora's box of what's next. The good part about this is that there could be some mundane automated things that um, you know, AI would really be helpful for, uh, for me, for someone that spends a tremendous amount of time on the phone, a tremendous amount of time, uh, at conferences and video conferences and speaking, I can see much like this reporter said, some benefits of mundane tasks of calling for appointments to verify and, and things of that nature that don't require a lot of inf- action. So I'm calling to ensure that, um, service is going to occur at my house, you know, someone's going to come do work or dinner reservations or things of that nature, there's some real value in, but I think some of those things are already exist. The bottom line here is um, there is a need for regulation, actually this week, um, the White House announced that the Vice President would be meeting with some of the larger generative AI companies to talk about how do we safeguard this, how do we make it safe and I think one of the challenges with AI is that safety is not necessarily clearly defined. you have uh, a group of people that are concerned with computers taking over. You have a group of people that are concerned with misinformation. You have a group of people that are concerned with data poisoning, the ability for a foreign government or a bad actor to go in and, and poison the data to create generative AI. And then you have copyright infringement. And um, right now, as we speak, uh, you know, you have a massive writers' strike around um, some of the the writing units uh, for TV shows and movies because they're trying to protect, you know, AI script writing. So this is a a rapidly evolving situation. I see a lot of really great positive um, use cases, but I also see the potential for uh misappropriation or misuse. So I think this is something we'll have to continue to monitor and we will definitely hear continue to talk about it. I know Tony talked about it today as well. Um, I do think it's here to stay. I do think that we're we're in an evolutionary phase where we're going to see some huge, huge benefits, but I also think that there's risk associated with those benefits. And with that, I will turn it back over to Reed.
0: All right. Well thanks so much, Tom. Uh, amazing information. Again, um, you get in the weeds, plus you got the big picture. I always take notes and learn a lot each week. And Tony, I want to thank you for all your insights and input as well. Good stuff. And uh, we're glad you're back safe and sound. And uh, I want to thank uh, Diego. I want to thank Wilson for their editing and coordination and deployment here. And uh, I want to thank you all. So everybody stay safe, stay in touch.